You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pull Box Podcast. The International Graphic Novel Book Club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Hello and welcome back to the Pullbox Podcast. Uh, this is our 70th episode. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen. And I am your other host, Curtis Finley. And uh, this week we're going to talk about uh, Green Arrow, uh, volume one, the death and life of Oliver Queen. This is the first volume of the, uh, green arrow rebirth storyline. Uh, we talked, uh, two months ago about yep. Superman, uh, his first volume. So I, it was so good. And, I I, I, I enjoyed that so much. I wanted to check out other stuff and being that I do host uh, quiver, the green arrow podcast, I, Green Arrow came highly recommended by several <laughs> people. So, okay. um, and I was really, I was really, really glad. I was really glad that, that it did get recommended to me specifically by Andrew at uh, Metropolis Comics and Toys. Uh, he, uh, he figured that I would enjoy this and he was absolutely right. So, um, this, uh, this first volume is written by Benjamin Percy, uh, sorry, Benjamin Percy. Um, and then the first, three issues in this collection are drawn by Otto Schmidt. And then the, the subsequent what three are, uh, uh, Juan Ferreira. Uh, and, uh, it's a great book. I yep. thought it was fantastic. Um, I basically, uh, Hey, if you haven't been reading uh, green arrow, new 52, you're going to be really, really confused. Right from the get-go, because you're going to be like, who are some of these characters? Why doesn't uh, Oliver know the Black Canary? That was my biggest question, because I haven't been reading yeah. any of the New 52 Why stuff. Why is he in Seattle and not Star City? That's right. Um, and uh, you'll be happy to know I don't have any of those answers, <laughs> because uh, the New 52 was garbage and I didn't read it. So, um, although there were parts of Green Arrow during new 52 that um that apparently were pretty good so um yeah i'm sure you find the gems in all yeah, of the series yeah, for yeah. sure um but he was one of the characters that because new 52 happened around the same time that arrow started uh he was affected but not as adversely as other characters yeah. because it was more so like well let's just kind of bring some characters into his universe <laughs> from from the show from the show but yeah. um but the character of Oliver Queen I would say of 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 everything that I've read um and of all of the sort of like mainline characters I really feel like Oliver is the one who maintained his character the best throughout the new 52 um in fact I would say that like they kind of doubled down on some of his stuff but the the Oliver Queen that's in this is very similar to the Oliver Queen that's in Quiver, which is the the book that Kevin Smith wrote. Did, did we we covered Quiver, right? No, I don't. think No, we, we haven't did. yet. Okay, we will eventually. Um, 
but uh, like like the tone and sort of the 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 attitude and everything, like it's very very similar. All the social justice stuff, um, and and it's surprising because in a time when every other character is being made more edgy and hip yeah. and and that sort they've, of thing, they've toned him down. Yeah, in like, that way. Yeah, they they absolutely like like they 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 haven't they haven't done that aspect when the TV version of Oliver Queen is possibly <laughs> yeah. one of the like edgiest, most sort of like uh, uh, Dark Knight inspired um, versions of a DC character. So I, I I find that really interesting that like the comics kind of uh, as much as they they brought in some of the characters from from arrow they have also um sort of veered away from from the way that arrow tells stories so i uh, the who how do you even sum this this volume up it's really tough uh the main story the main story is that there are um, p- um homeless women and children are going missing going missing yeah and uh, no one knows why and no one really cares because they're not really considered to be worth anything since they're just homeless, yeah. whatever they're in the way. Yeah. And so um, Ollie, being the social justice guy that he is, says, no, I yeah. care about all of these people, so I'm going to figure out yeah. where they're going. And, and that yeah. kind of leads him down the path of discovering that Queen Industries is actually kind has of something behind, to do with yeah. it. Yeah. And so he, he discovers that, uh, this guy Broderick, who he sort of refers to as his, uh, his mentor is, is as close as I have to an uncle or, or father. Um, it turns out that this, this guy is actually, uh, 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 what, like a, a shareholder in this clandestine <laughs> evil yeah. bank. Yeah. Um, the, the ninth circle, is that what it's called? The nine circles. The nine circles. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, so I, this concept is awesome. I think it's great. Um, we've, we've all kind of seen the, the meta, um, you know, like how, where do, where do the bad guys get all these henchmen from? Right. right. And so how does the penguin create his gigantic penguin float that he yeah, can, that has all these guns um, and Never runs out of yeah, ammo. Yeah, we've, we've kind of gotten, like, Marvel's definitely done a lot of that sort of thing, and and they've poked fun at it a lot. Um, I know during uh, Superior Spider-Man, they they really, really poked fun yeah. at it with, like, I, I, Otto went back to all of his old resources in order to build up a team of, like, spider police, basically. Right. Um, uh, but they're all henchmen that would normally be working for supervillains, uh, which was uh, which was a really fun turn on that. But this is this is sort of along the same lines. It's basically the idea that that um, the supervillains have to get their money from somewhere, and they're not getting it from bank heists. Like that's they they need the money for the crazy uh, uh, laser drill that's going to allow them to pull the bank heist in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you can't just walk into a regular bank for that business loan. Um, so the nine circles exists as a bank for supervillains yeah. 
to to borrow money for uh, death rays and uh, yep. and freeze guns and and all sorts of stuff that they're going to use to to make their ill gotten gains. And the way that this bank gets its money to give to these villains is is through embezzlement of their the company. Because all of yeah. the people who are our shareholders are like top brass business guys. Yeah. And they all are embezzling money from their companies and, to fund and, this kind and of stuff. laundering the money and yeah. everything. Yeah. So so it turns out that that this Broderick guy has actually been using Queen Industries as a way to do this. And as Oliver gets closer, uh, they basically pull the plug on everything that is Oliver Queen's resources. So yeah. uh, they they frame him for murder. They, uh, they, they basically like, I mean, like, I think they were supposed to kill him, but they don't, um, and we'll kind of learn why later, but, um, basically leave him for dead. They destroy his home, not yeah. just his apartment, but like the buildings that his apartment is in. Yeah. They level them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and obviously you take away his, his access to everything at queen industries. So, um, much like uh, every uh, good writer has done with the Green Arrow at some point, they take away everything that he has Yep. in order to basically put him back in the position that he's in when he f- first becomes the Green Arrow. Um, it's it's well, and that's, sort of a great um, deconstruction. One of the conversations that he and Dinah have at the very beginning yeah. is that he, he can't do what he does without... Money. Without the money, yeah. So um, that was a, a, a very important um, conversation just yeah. for the, their own relationship, but it plays heavy into the fact that now he actually has to face the yeah. fact that he has no money and has to do still be the Green Arrow and do yeah, all those he's been because he's been paying people to help him as well as paying off the cops to kind of look the other way when he needs to question somebody or, yeah. you know, when they when he sort of needs access to a crime scene or something like that, he's, he's handing the money, which means that the second that it turns out that he's a bad guy in their eyes because he's been framed for murder. <laughs> if they're that, not going to get any more money than whatever. Yeah. And yeah. And, and that like there, there's no loyalty no because, loyalty. um, because they never looked at him as a good guy. He was yep. bribing them. So like he was kind of always in a gray area right. already. And then it turns out that he's doing bad stuff. Well, now he's public en- enemy number one. Totally. So uh, they kind of take everything away from him. But at the same time that they do that, they, uh, they've, they've brought the black canary back into his life um, throughout the new 52 DC made a concerted effort to distance Black Canary from Green Arrow, um, which was a very odd choice. Was it because of Elicity? Uh, no, I don't think that it had anything to do with that. Um, it, I think it's kind of the, the whole Spider-Man thing, because they did the yeah, same thing with Spider-Man. It's like, um, you want to have this adventurer that most people can identify with. Yeah. But if they're married... Yeah. And if they have, and if they're like, you don't have the same sort of problems with like with relationships or yeah. with anything when you're married as if you had just a, a, a girlfriend that you're just starting off yeah, out with. For sure. And there's no, you don't have the same sort of growth. Yeah. I, I, and I think like there was a lot of, there's a lot of baggage in, in relation to, um, I, 
obviously like you you alluded to in in pre new 52 uh oliver and dinah are married yep but then ollie kills does he kill dr light in identity crisis i feel i think that he does uh, he dr. kills dr light dies i don't know if it's by ollie's hand he kills someone he kills yep. a supervillain and that is like it, it's interesting because like we just finished recording curtis guest hosted on an episode of uh, of quiver and uh this season is very much about like should oliver kill should he not kill um and that series has been very much about that and it's actually kind of a core part of the character of the green arrow because he uses lethal weapons <laughs> like these yeah. arrows are not friendly um and uh, and and so he he made that choice. I can't. I I'm. I want to. I feel like it was Doctor Light. Like that it was part of that identity crisis storyline. Um, that that he was the one to sort of end things by killing her. Uh, no, him. There's there's two Doctor Lights. Anyways, uh, is DC Comics so confusing? You can see why they did New 52 and why they wanted to reboot things because after all he killed whoever it is that he killed, Dinah basically like left him and said like you're not the man that I love, you're not the man that I married because that man would never do this, he would never kill. Um and and I think that they kind of wanted to distance themselves from that because people didn't receive that very well. They didn't like the idea of Ollie and Dinah being broken up after that huge, you know, uh, decades long build up to them getting married in the comics. So, um, so when new 52 came around, uh, I think because at the time black canary wasn't on arrow yet, I think that they were kind of just going like, we'll just, you know, kind of leave Ollie on his own and black canary. in when new 52 rebooted was part of birds of prey, like she had her own book. Um, actually, I think she even had her own Black Canary book in New Fifty Two. In when New Fifty, because if you it, remember when New Fifty Two launched, there were fifty two titles. Yeah. So I know uh, that during New Fifty Two, there was, a, there was a Green Arrow and Black Canary like together book. Was there? Like they shared the title. Okay, I'm pretty sure for a while, at least. Um. But yeah, so they, they've they've kind of brought these characters together, um, romantically in in this first volume and kind of like really quickly and kind of almost awkwardly but uh um but the way that they're written and the way that their relationship is written i thought was actually like really kind of compelling because they're um they kind of keep each other in check it's like all these the great sort of uh, uh comic book relationships um, like Ollie and Dinah and, and uh, Lois and Clark and uh, uh, even like like Batman and Catwoman to a certain degree. It's like the, the they're they're similar enough that the characters are relatable to each other and uh, and and you can believe their relationship. But there are these certain places where they differ that kind of just makes them polar opposites and allows for some great conversations and growth for those characters in different directions. And they, and, and, uh, uh, Benjamin Percy like nails it in this first, yeah, in this first volume to that extent. And, and so after, 
like they kind of get together at the beginning and then uh and then Oliver is framed for murder and and it's kind of left for dead goes off on his own meanwhile Dinah thinks that he's dead and she kind of goes off on her own revenge plot um and then it all kind of comes back together and the thing that links everything is uh, this connection to uh, Shadow and uh, Shadow's daughter, uh, Emmy. Yeah. Yeah. Emiko, who is actually uh, Robert Queen's illegitimate daughter and Ollie's half sister. Right. Um, which was interesting because in arrow he's got an uh, actual he's, sister he's got an act well, i guess it was a half sister as well isn't it? Yeah. yeah because because it ends up being that malcolm merlin is is the the father sorry spoilers for arrow um from like three seasons from like ago three come seasons on guys ago. get yeah. up to date uh but uh but yeah i i i thought that was really cool because it's kind of there there's all these ways that they this version of the green arrow is similar to Ollie on Arrow, um, in terms of like who he's hanging out with, the team is kind of the same, but the characters are all different. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like he's he has a Diggle, but this version of Diggle is different, and uh, and he's got a version of Thea who herself is a version of Mia Dearden, his uh, protege who becomes uh, uh, the second Speedy. Um, and, I, uh, I, he's got his own Felicity in this, but his version of Felicity in this is a, uh, an Asian nerd, <laughs> um, I computer genius type guy. So like, he's got, he has, like, who's for hire, who's for hire. He's a, yeah. He's so like staff, there are all these pieces that are the same but they're kind of different. Yeah. Right. Um, and whatever happened between Diggle and Ollie, I have no idea. Cause like I said, I haven't read the comics, but, um, sounds like someone died. Somebody died and it was Oliver's fault and Diggle blames him. And, and so there's tension there, but then they kind of come together and, uh, uh, by the end of the book, everybody's, everybody's come together as a team only for, I. Uh, I. Uh, the in the very at the very very end everybody to get kind of separated and defeated almost and ollie ends up stranded on an island so i'm i'm actually i i want to pick up volume two of superman i but i think first i'm going to pick up volume two of green arrow oh yes yeah because like i I want to know what happens like he ends up on the island and it's this great i i sort of single panel right uh or a splash page i think on the last page where he's like oh it's not it's not a single panel but it's just sort of like these really big panels and he kind of wakes up on this beach and he then the last line is oh god not again <laughs> um and that's just i think that's great you know like uh put him back in that position yeah um and see what happens i uh, so yeah, I like I really like the story. I really like what they've set up. I like the 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 scenario. I don't know why he's in Seattle and not Star City. I don't know what the the decision is there to put him. And I tried looking it up. I tried to see like if I could find an article explaining why they moved him to Seattle instead of Star City. Um and one of the things that I found is that Star City 
uh, not in its original inception, but at some point in the comics, um, they, they had written that in the DC universe, um, they talk about it a little bit in this and we, you know, we're from the Pacific Northwest. So I've been to Seattle many times. My dad actually used to live there, um, when, when he was younger. Um, so I've heard tons of stories about Seattle. I know a lot about it and, and anybody who knows Seattle knows that Seattle was built and then the city basically burnt to the ground. And then instead of clearing out the rubble, they just basically built another city. It's pretty awesome. On top of I don't that know, I city. don't know how you do it, but yeah. they did it. Yeah. Um, and so and, there's this entire underground city in yeah. downtown Seattle. Yeah. And you can go for tours and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you can go through it. And yeah. uh, and so it kind of comes into play in this that, that uh, you it's know, perfect. there... Yeah, there are these sort of like underground... Uh, and, and so the, in the comics at some point, it was determined that Star City is actually the Seattle. Seattle. Well, no, it's the Seattle that they built on top of Seattle. So like, like at some point in some story, somebody said that, that star city is built on top of old Seattle or something. (laughs) Um, at least that's what I, that's what I, I read it in an article, so I don't know. It could be wrong, but, um, or a misinterpretation or something. And so this one, he's still, it's still pretty much star city, but they just call it Seattle. They just straight up just call it Seattle. Yeah. Um, and some, like one of the things that I love about it, like I said, I'm super familiar with Seattle. It's one of my favorite places to go for like weekend trips and that sort of thing. I love downtown Seattle. Other than Disneyland, that is. Other than Disneyland. Well, Seattle's a little bit cheaper. Um, (laughs) not, not actually not by much. Seattle's a pretty expensive city to stay in for a weekend. Pretty pricey sometimes, but, um, especially with the, uh, with the, the Canadian dollar the way it is right now. But, um, there is like, like, there's some pieces of geography and, uh, and locations that are actually like recognizable. And, uh, and for the most part, the, the cityscapes, um, they actually, they actually have several of the buildings. Yeah. From, from Seattle the has a pretty Seattle distinct skyline. feel yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Distinct style. Yeah. So, uh, so I actually thought, I thought that was great. And I, like, I feel like, I feel like maybe, um, Otto Schmidt kind of captured it a little bit better than uh than um uh Juan Ferreira cuz they they kind of they different they use different color palettes um there's a lot more sort of pinks purples and blues in uh in in Ferreira's stuff and then Schmidt is very like green and yellow sort of very golden um yeah. very emerald city wizard <laughs> of oz sort of color palette which is funny I see what you're doing there yeah cuz um because Seattle is referred to as the Emerald City, so right, uh, yeah, I, I I loved it. I the only my only complaint is that I wish that uh, Otto Schmidt drew the whole thing, but as you were saying before we started recording, he he illustrated and colored the whole thing. Yeah. So well, all his portions, um, as did Juan Ferreira. So like that's to me that's crazy. Um, as somebody who who draws inks like pencils, inks, and uh, and colors, his own uh, weekly webcomic that he hasn't done in months because it's <laughs> too much work. Uh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine doing twenty four pages in a month. Well, if this is your full time job, sure. Then that's first of all, that's a little easier because you have built in yeah. time. For Doesn't it. your hand get tired though? I'm like, sure. Don't, don't you find that like after the, yeah. when you finish one of your comics that you're like. 
Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Well, I'm sure a lot of these artists have tendonitis in their hands and they have to wear braces or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I feel like um, just the the um, evolution of technology allows yeah. artists to be able to do this sort of thing a lot easier For sure. than it would be. Because I know that there are some artists... I, we, I just um, talked about... Um, the Silver Surfer in an episode of the Epic Marvel podcast. And in that yeah. one, um, Marshall Rogers is the artist and he's also the colorist, but he's not the inker. Okay. Um, but he does his own coloring and it adds something totally different yeah. uh, because the artist takes into account the colors yeah. uh, when he goes to, to draw his stuff. And um, if you're on a tablet and like, I don't think that either of these artists... Um, did the work on Bristol board first. No. They, they, they did it straight digital. Yeah. And, uh, and then why not just go straight into coloring? Because you can yep. see in the way that their lines are, and especially with Juan, he's, he paints most of it. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, th- their lines are very much dictated by the, the color and the shadow that they, that they have in their mind. Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. Uh, and and both artists just have this great, vibrant oh, yeah. style, and the action is so sort of like kinetic. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're great. They're very, very great artists. Both really great uh, c- cinematic feels to them. Yeah. They're and, very different uh, in style, though. And I was yeah. surprised when I got to halfway through the book and the yeah. style changes drastically because yeah. Otto has a very, uh, it's. Um, I don't know. Kind of a loose flat style. Yeah. 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 And his in his um his coloring and his shading reflects that as well. Yep. I like it. Very thin lines. Yep. Um his characters are very caricatured almost and not yep. as human looking. Um I loved it. I thought that his style was really yeah, good. Yeah, well, Otto Schmidt's an artist that I've actually followed for a long time. Oh, yeah. What else has he done? As well. well, that's the thing is like I haven't followed like his comics work as much as like i've just followed him online oh okay right like yep. like on tumblr and on instagram mm-hmm. and stuff um and so i've always been an admirer of his of his work nice. and it's the sort of thing that that i find really inspirational yeah um yeah I, I like his um his choice in um background colors yeah to really emphasize uh, to emphasize action and such um he he does a lot to uh and his his uh his his he almost puts uh, backgrounds like a, are like, yeah. like you said, like his characters are almost caricatures. They're kind of they've kind of got an animated yeah quality to them, but then his backgrounds are like these perfect sort of architectural drawings, right? Like the yeah. sort of thing that you would expect to see in like a, a concept drawing for a for an yeah, apartment building and you kind of have like to do that because if your backgrounds are as caricatured as your caricature yeah. characters then they then the backgrounds become distracting yeah um if you're going to have caricatured characters and you want it to you still want them to be believable then you place them in a realistic looking world as possible yeah. that's why in disney cartoons especially the old like mickey mouse cartoons you have these rubber hose characters um, but then you have these beautifully painted watercolor yeah. backgrounds that look absolutely re- real yeah. because then you don't pay attention to them. Yeah. Uh, and they just, they're just there and you yeah. accept that as being the real world. Totally. Um, yeah. And then it, like you said, it, it, it switches at a certain point and it gets to this um, very uh, 
I would describe it more as typical DC looking artwork. Yeah, for sure. Otto's not typical DC. I'd place no. him more on the Marvel side because Marvel tends to hire a wider range of styles in their books. Yeah. But DC has a very specific look. Yeah. Um, and one fits the bill. Yeah, but it's very like it, like you said, it's it's painted. Um, so there aren't there aren't the black lines, right? Like right. not your usual comic lines and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it still works. It's still good. Like he's he's a great oh, yeah. artist. He's still but really it's kind of going from from in my opinion like one of the best working right now to a good artist <laughs> right yeah. so it's like it's not to take anything away from from Ferreira but but uh Otto Schmidt is probably one of my faves so I uh, it was kind of I was like when I I know last month when we were sort of previewing this and saying like yeah Otto Schmidt I was psyched yeah. so yeah like oh that's gonna be awesome it's gonna be great um, and I really like the the redesign on the on the Green Arrow costume, which is it's a it's a bit of a tweak from the New Fifty Two. Um, it's Definitely very similar to the New Fifty Two by the TV series. Yeah, um, but uh, well, actually, I said the 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 TV show one is actually more inspired by this because the mm, New Fifty Two okay. comic, the New Fifty Two costume came out before Oliver got the new gear on. Oh, okay, on Arrow. So um, I, we can ask the guy who's uh, who's actually partially responsible <laughs> for that. So right. I'll ask him next time I see him. But um, my uh, I I am conflicted with my thoughts here because I I read this book and while I did enjoy the story, there's mm-hmm. just so much in it that's taken like it, it feels like it's in there because of the tv show sure um even just the inclusion of like shadow and i mean i know she has a history with the character but, yeah but just uh and diggles there and and like in one panel you see a reference to wild dog and yeah um it's just like this is um on one hand i'm like i don't like the fact that the comics have to cater to the comic or to the TV show audience. But at the same time, I'm also like, if this makes comics more accessible to someone who otherwise wouldn't read them, then I'm happy for that. Yeah, for sure. So it's a, it's it's, a weird dichotomy. It's tough. Um, Comics are not doing great. (laughs) We're kind of, we're, we're, it's crazy because the movies do so well. Yeah. TV shows. It's really weird. I feel like we're kind of hitting that same point that we hit in about 95 where all of a sudden uh, I... There's a crash. Yeah, yeah. The, the market crashes. Because like, cause like 91, 92, 93, like you're talking about like the DC... Uh, what was the DC Marvel crossover was like... Yeah, that was around there. Was yeah, like 92 sure. or 93. Yeah, and like Age of Apocalypse yeah, was there. And, and Amalgam and the Death of death, Superman. Death of Superman. That was a little earlier. Um, Like all that stuff sort of in the early 90s and and then like marvel doing all of like the foil incentive covers and marvel 2099 and like there was all this like it was really the beginning of of stunt and event comics as we know them today which like, killed the market yeah and it did it 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 flooded the market with like four variant covers of every of every marvel comic and well and they were doing that to uh because they were losing money. So yeah. if they put out four different 
covers, one person would buy the same comic four times. Yeah, because they they like basically preyed on the collectors. And if you notice, um, <laughs> DC starting. Well, they're all starting to do that again now. Well, about, about like ten years ago, that wasn't happening. Right, they were really focused on story. Yeah, Joe Quesada um, came in like axe a bunch of the titles and yeah said no more of these cheesy gimmick covers and yeah yeah yeah. and uh and then recently sort of in the last three or four years uh and it started with dc they started doing they would do dc would do like a an event cover series where they do like okay uh this month all of the comics have villains on the covers instead of heroes and yeah, the, or all of them have a lenticular cover. Yeah, or exactly. All of the, I think this month or next month is all of them have Looney Tunes characters in them or there something you go. like that. And and then Marvel followed suit and did these um, uh, hip hop yeah those uh, album inspired I really, covers. I thought they were great. Well, they're fantastic, and but like, it's still a gimmick. But it's a gimmick, right? And yeah. it's just to get. And so now, or like all of the covers this month have a, the main character with the Venom symbiote. Like if okay. it, if it were venom, yeah, yeah. So um, and and the thing about that is that if they just did that as like, well, this month that's what we're going to do on all of the covers, yeah, that's fine. But that's not what they do. Every issue has a regular cover, yeah, and then it also has this variant cover, so people right. have to buy two copies if they're collectors. I feel like that and started once Mar- Marvel was bought by Disney because yeah. they they didn't do it. And then as soon as Marvel bought Disney, all of a sudden we had variant covers of all of these yeah. superheroes in Tron outfits. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They did do that. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it, it's this constant back and forth between Marvel and DC with the, the variant covers and the... Uh, I don't buy any of them because I know that the collections reprint all of them in the back of the book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you get all of them anyway. Exactly. Um, and uh, and then and then event stories and stuff like that. Yeah. And they've just been killing the market with yep. this stuff to the point that Marvel has said that they're not doing anything. That's great for for a year and a half. Basically, they're yeah. not going to do any events. Um, although right now they're in the middle of resurrection, which is the X-Men in humans crossover, but that's less of an event. Like that's not like an Avengers versus X-Men, you know, the, or whole the secret thing. wars. And yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's, it's specifically just a crossover between the X-Men and Inhumans. But, um, but yeah, like they're kind of pulling back on some of that stuff. And I hope that DC figures that out as well. And that we don't get, uh, too burnt out because because uh, I do th- I think yeah. that they're kind of they're kind of killing their own fans. Well, DC ha- has these revamps like Rebirth and New Fifty Two, but I find that they don't do the tightly woven, interconnected story crossover major events like Marvel does. Marvel's been doing on a quite quite a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. Marvel's Marvel's gotten pretty bad about it. And I think part of that is the movies and the fact that like what what's so great about the movies? Well, the great thing about <laughs> the movies is that now all the characters cross yeah. over. Like the fact that, uh, but they're still standalone movies. It, they're still standalone movies. Yeah, um, but characters show up in everything, and like there 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 aren't rules anymore, right? Like that's I mean it's it's a great thing about the Marvel movies, but it's also kind of like like stay in your own lane. <laughs> um, and it's getting to be, uh, it's starting to mimic where the comics are at. Yeah. And, uh, and, and 
I don't know. I think that at a certain point they have to pull back, but you know, they're still doing better than DC. So, <laughs> yeah. which like, so it's, here's, it's it, this, this is one of the last things that I'll say about this. And I, I, it's since we're talking about the movies, I think the green arrow is one of DC's greatest characters. Um, I think that he is unique amongst superheroes and, uh, and, and I think that right now, like in 2017 in the political climate that we have, like he's kind of the superhero that needs to be at the forefront of a lot of stuff because he is the social justice superhero. And there's a lot of like human rights and uh, I just sort of like basic human decency issues going on in the world, not just the States, like it's happening in Canada as well. It's happening in, in the UK and, and Europe and, like like France is in the middle of of uh, it happens uh, wherever there are people basically yeah. yeah um but it seems like we're kind of on the crest of this this wave of intolerance and hate and ignorance and and i i all of this stuff is going on and to me like there are two superheroes that kind of stand head and shoulders above everybody else in times like this that sort of need to be brought to the forefront. One of them is Superman and the other one is the green arrow. And I, I like, I, I just, I think that he should be getting his due and yet he's not going to be in the justice league, which to me is just like, that's a mistake. Uh, is it green arrow? Is he one of the original members of the justice league? Oh no, I don't like, think he's so. not one no. of the original seven, but, but he is definitely, he was one of the super friends, so uh, um, in the later seasons, I'm pretty sure. In, yeah, maybe in the later seasons, but not like yeah, not not. He had a, a couple of cameos, I think, in the first season. But yeah. other than that, he wasn't really around. But but he's yeah. like he's he's such an integral character in the DC universe, and he's so important. Yeah. And yet, like he's going to be just totally passed over for all this stuff. And part of it's because of the success of arrow, but like flash is successful too. And he's going to be in yeah. justice league. Cause yeah. you can't do justice league without the flash. Right. I, I don't know. It just bugs me that like, you see all this marketing for justice league and there's only five of them. And it's like, you've got Batman, you've got the flash, you have cyborg for some reason for cultural diversity. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I wonder woman and Aquaman and that's great. They should all be on the Justice League. Maybe Cyborg is debatable, but I uh, Superman. I'm like, well, let's not kid ourselves. Superman's obviously in Justice League. He will be in the yeah. movie, but um, he's not in any of the marketing material. He hasn't been in any of the trailers. I don't think he will be in anything. Like he's they're going. DC saw what happened with star Wars and they went, we can do that with Superman. <laughs> so I, I honestly believe that like Superman's not going to be in justice league for more than 10 minutes. Yeah. He's going to show up at the end. And I think he's going to show up at the end as a villain because DC does not get it. Um, I bet you when Arrow, the TV show, runs its course and it yeah. finally gets canceled, then they'll give Green okay. Arrow a movie mm-hmm. chance, yeah. and then he could be in a future Justice League movie. I don't yeah. doubt that at all. But the the biggest thing is that like these characters need to be themselves. They need to be true to the core of the character, and they need to be like big and bright on screen. I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy yesterday, and I'm sorry, DC, but you, there's no excuse. 
there's no excuse because if Guardians of the Galaxy can do what it does in this in the second movie, no one can make the excuse that like audiences won't buy that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> right? Like there's there's absolutely no argument to be made that like that that Superman being the big blue boy scout isn't going to sell a movie. Yeah. Uh, if you make the movie good, if it's got heart, if it has humor, if it has some good action in it, you're going to sell tickets. Yep. Superman's going to sell tickets regardless, but you can't do what you've done with Superman for the last little while. You can't do what you've done with Batman for the last little while. Like, it's just, I just don't think that it can be sustained. And, and thankfully the comics seem to be figuring that out. Um, I just like the the problem is that the movies are such big endeavors that like they're they're bigger ships so they take longer to turn, right? But with the comics, they're these little nimble things that like if people don't like what you're doing one month, you can adjust yeah. for next month. Totally. Right? Uh and and I think that that Jeff Johns becoming the creative director um his fingerprints are all over this stuff. It's obvious that there's that there's a clear directive of like get these characters back to who they're supposed to be, get them back to the core. We have 70 plus years of legacy for many of these characters. Pull on that, like draw on that. Don't try and reinvent these classic icons. Yeah. What's the point? That's not what people tune in for. If that's what you want to do, Go write your own comic, right? <laughs> Creator own comics are bigger than they've ever been. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about another comic this month that is wholly unique. Yes. And uh, and that's why Image exists, right? Yep. And and Image isn't the only game in town anymore. Now there's IDW and there's there's Boom and there's all sorts of comic publishers. Yeah. Um, so if you want to make a character that's like Superman, but edgier because you have some sort of a critique or something to say about that character through that lens, then go write another story. It's already been done. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> invincible. The yeah. Invincible is doing it better than anybody. Yeah. Anybody else. So like, just stop. But, um, <laughs> my point being that like, like people show up to DC and Marvel for the characters that they are familiar with and that they know and love. Yeah. And I think like Jeff Johns gets that. I think uh, Joe Quesada at at Marvel gets that. Um, And uh, well, there are opportunities to bring in new characters, but they, they have different methods of doing it right with DC. They just rewrite the character. They, they reboot the universe and then they say now Superman's a jerk. Uh, and then when people get mad at that, they go, okay, well that Superman's dead. And the original Superman, he's still around. <laughs> uh, Marvel does it by saying, okay, I, Tony Stark died and now somebody else is Iron Man. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's an African-American uh, uh, teenage, teenage girl. girl. Um, and, and they recreate the characters that way. But, but, if you've read that, so I haven't read any of it yet, but um, cause I'm waiting for the trade paperbacks, but um, I know that like Tony Stark is still in that he's still around. He's just, his mind is in the suit. 
So it's like the, he's Jarvis now, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Tony Stark is still there. So if you are an Iron Man fan and you're showing up for Tony Stark, especially post-2008 uh, or Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark, yeah. he's in that comic. It's just he's not the main character right now, right? right. And and uh, they do stuff like that um, unless you – well, we won't talk when they collect this, uh, uh, the Hydra stuff with Captain America. We'll, I'll, I'll definitely be pulling that because oh, okay. there's a lot to talk about there. But, um, yeah, anyways, we go on and on about Marvel and DC and the state of comics. <laughs> Green Arrow, uh, volume one, the death and life of Oliver Queen. I really liked it. Yeah, I was, um, it was enjoyable. I don't know that I, I I'm raving about it as much as you are. Yeah. It was, uh, it it was just uh, I like the concept. It just seemed like it didn't really fully execute the main story because yeah. they were too focused on Oliver establishing yeah, which characters exactly for sure. So, it is definitely um, it's a first issue spread over six issues. Yeah, uh, and and comics are kind of infamous for yeah that that first issue of nonsense because all you're doing is establishing characters and uh, uh yeah i mean it's it there we were introduced to so many characters all at once to the point where i i didn't really care about oliver yeah and so when he got stranded on the island i had the opposite reaction as mm. you you were like i gotta buy the second volume i'm like okay well <laughs> there he is again <laughs> who cares i don't care i don't know i, sure. I uh, yeah i don't know it was uh i wasn't not not as impressed. I love the artwork. I thought yeah. the art and the storytelling was just fantastic. But um, yeah, I don't know. If you pick up the second volume, maybe I'll read and, and see see what it says. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, uh, what what are we what are we talking about on the next episode? Oh yeah. Next episode is on location. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. For for next month. Yeah. Uh, we are. Um, oh, sorry. In the next episode, we're talking about Black Science, which is yeah. a Rick Remender book uh, put out by Image. Um, a lot of fun. Great sci-fi. Great book. Um, yeah. And then in in the next month, we're going to be on location because we are at the Retro Gaming Expo. Yeah, the Vancouver Retro Gaming Expo, which is May twenty seventh uh, in New Westminster. British Columbia for anybody who is happening to listen to this podcast for all like 60 of you that listen to this podcast. If any of you just happen to be in the Vancouver or Seattle ish areas, um, you should come come out because, uh, we're going to be there for, uh, an art show that, that, uh, that I run every year and Curtis is, is gracious enough to help me with pretty much every year. (laughs) I, I called eight bits of destiny. Um, you may remember that Thunderquack listeners will remember that as a twice short-lived uh, podcast um, <laughs> that never quite went anywhere, but never went anywhere twice. I I'm pretty proud of that. But I, I, third time's the charm. Come yeah. on, Mike. <laughs> um, but we've picked two comic, th- yeah. uh, two video game themed comics, and they are both from Nintendo Power magazines from the nineties. This is fun because this is like nostalgia. And totally. I, I can't wait to dig into these. So, um, Yeah, they, they've both been recently collected by Viz. Yep. Um, one of them is Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, with uh, story and art by Shotaro 
Ishi, Ishinomori. <laughs> Ishinomori. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Uh, and then the other one is Super Mario Adventures yeah. by Kintaro uh, Takakuma with art by Charlie no- Nozawa. Yeah. <laughs> I st- should have practiced these names before it's okay. I, I it's okay. recorded here. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to read those. And then we're actually going to record the episodes live yep. at the expo so and we'll um we'll try and get a bunch of people who are there to give their comments because i'm i betcha a lot of people there oh, sure. will know these comics yeah. so yeah um yeah whether they know them from the collections or from reading nintendo power yeah. magazine for sure yep yeah so we're going retro video games next month for uh in in honor of eight bits of destiny and the retro gaming expo so yep. so that's that should be fun i'm really excited about that but uh That's it for this week. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time. Keep reading comics. For more episodes of the Pullbox Podcast, visit us at pullboxpodcast.com or on iTunes. You can find me on various social media websites. Just search for Curtis Findlay. That's Curtis with a K. You can follow me on Twitter at ArcWolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F, and, you know, on Tumblr other social medias as well uh, go to patreon.com slash thunderquack to support us where you can kick in as little as a dollar and get a bunch of great rewards the exclusive thunderquack podcast as well as access to the facebook group and by getting access to the facebook group you get that direct line to us to send us suggestions for what we should read on the podcast if you like this podcast you can check out other great podcasts on the thunderquack network by heading to thunderquack.com 